waving palm branches anymore. They're waving their fists and sticks and fire and they're, after, they're, on a, they're on a witch hunt for Jesus. And they don't like Him and they want to condemn Him to die because He wasn't the Messiah that they had been thinking of. Before we get into this today, as you can already tell, I'm a little bit passionate about this. But I, want, I want to take a, just a second to, to do something. If you open up your, your, um, your worship handout, on the very right side, you'll see a couple things. Uh, churchwide workday is this Thursday and Saturday, if you can make it. And, and I told the 9 o'clock people this. I said, hey, if you work, or your schedule doesn't allow you to be here, this is what I just want to ask you to do. If you think about us during that time, that the people that are going to be here, just pray that our time is spent and we get a lot accomplished. If we get everything done on Thursday, maybe we don't have to do anything on Saturday. Uh, we're just going to prep the church, get it ready for Sunday on Easter Sunday. Uh, th- that's when you come in. We want you to invite anybody that you know that doesn't go to church. If they already have a church, that's not who we're after. We're after people that don't go to church anywhere. We want them to come in here. We want them to hear the name of Jesus Christ and what God has done through His Son. Now, I want to take some time, just a second. If you skip down over the Annie Armstrong offering, and that's something that you can read about, you can give that offering right outside these doors towards the, towards the entrance doors. But if you look at Golden Goodies, now, if you're, if you're 60 years or above, and you, or your mate is, I want you to listen to this, because you're missing out on some Thursday night activities that are fun. But look at this. I asked a young person, I said, I, w- I was actually asked by one of our young people, how old do you have to be to go to, go to Golden Goodies? And I said, 60. And they said, cool. I only have 53 more years. Now, now that person really, really w- understood understands one thing. They're a seven-year-old person that really understands the value of fellowship. This one of the scriptures that we use in our mentoring thing that we do at our churches is don't, 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 don't neglect the meeting together. Come together with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you look down at the very two, the bottom things, you see, you see first step and you see the dunk party. Uh, if you want to know more about Connection, if you want to join Connection, that's first step. Uh, come talk to me so I can make sure that I have a book for you. Um, I teach that class. It's, it's all about Connection. You feel free to ask questions about what we believe, why we exist as a church, what are we doing, what's our visions. Uh, and dunk party. If you or someone that you know has become a Christian and they want to be baptized, we're going to have a dunk party. Now some of you, if you're not a Connectionite, and I say Connectionite, meaning the people that go to Connection. You may think, what's a, what's, what's a dunked party? Literally, it's a baptism. There, we would move all this. There's a, bapti- there's a baptistry behind there. Uh, we baptize people. We're going to have one service on that day at 10 o'clock. Um, and then afterwards, I know none of you like it, but they, maybe they just do it for me. But a lot of people come to the dunk party that don't necessarily come to our church all the time. Because we have been known to have chicken wings at lunch. And people just show up. And that's fine. If you want to come for chicken wings, you come for the service before that. Rejoice in, in what God is doing in people's lives. But uh, if you do not have... I, need, and I, I, may need, I may need to borrow Jason in a second. Um, does everybody have one of these crosses? They're going to come in to play today. If you don't have one, um, Jason can go out or somebody can go out right outside the door. If you don't have one, just lift up your hand. We'll get you one. Um, anyway, anybody? Anybody? Everybody have one? Okay. If you don't, if you don't have one... Oh, you need one? Okay. You just get several. Okay, this is what I want us to do with these. Now, my kids stayed up a long time gluing these together. Not really. We ordered them. So, <laughs> now I'm okay with child labor. We teach them how to clean the bathrooms and everything. It's like we're really cruel, but hey, that's why you have kids, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My dad used to say we had, that he had kids so I could help him find the remote is what he had me for. But anyway, 
You have a cross. Now, this is a really nice finished stained cross, isn't it? I'm not going to tell you that this thing costs a, lot, a whole lot of money, but I am impressed with the quality of it, okay, for what they cost. Now, listen. This has been stained. It's been put together. It's been glued. I want you to do something with this cross this morning that may make you a little bit uncomfortable. Okay, I want you to put it in your hand, and I just want you to hang on to it. Don't let go. Now you think, man, what are you, what are you doing, man? You got, you got the crosses up here. You got the crown of thorns and you got a purple robe. We're holding crosses. Everything about today points to the cross of Christ. At the very end of my sermon, it is not a joyful time. It wasn't that, time, it wasn't that joyful time on that Thursday in biblical times either. They thought hope had died. He was gone. Jesus was dead. They killed him. They crucified him. They put him on a cross and they nailed things through his hands. And and he's dead. We're going to get into that in just a second. If you would, I just want to pray for us really fast. Because this is not an easy subject for me to preach on. God, we thank you so much. God, this this situation in Scripture, this foundational payment that you put your son to death on the cross for us, It's not something that we like to just think about all the time. We don't want to think about what our sin has done. But God, just for the next 30 or 40 minutes, I ask this. I ask that you remove me from this place and the people only hear your words that I say. I'm just a man and I'm not important. But God, your words are sufficient for us and they're more than enough for us. And I pray, God, that these people and me learn from what you have for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I'm going to ask you a couple, a couple times during the sermon. Now, if you get a hand cramp, okay, if I see somebody going like this because they're holding on to their cross, let it go. Not Frozen. Okay, if you've been at Connection a little time, I, I understand the movie Frozen. We've seen it about 17,000 times at our house. Here's the deal. If you want to, if you want to get into Scripture, I want, you to, I want you to look up a couple things. We're going to be looking at the same story, but I'm going to get two different guys' perspective on it. Same story, from two different books. We're going to be looking, if you want to put some bookmarks, we're going to be looking at John 17 and 19. So you should put a little, maybe your worship hand out there. John 17 and 19. And then we're going to look at Luke 22, 23. Luke chapter 22 and chapter 23. Why are you doing that? Matt, we're skipping all over the Bible today. Listen, I don't normally do this, but we're going to take a very, very close look at what's going on. We're going to cover a lot of scripture. If you have a pen, get ready to mark. Okay, because there's a lot of good things that go over uh, in the, that we go over in this scripture. We will look at John's and Luke's view of this story. Now, why did I pick John and Luke? There's a reason. Luke interviewed people that were really there that really saw it. John writes it from a first-hand account. Okay? It's important for us to look at different things. Listen, we're given two different versions. More than that, actually. Why would we not study to find out what the truisms are in there? God's given us this workbook, this beautiful book. We're going to study it this morning. You were handed this little wooden cross. Now, I want to ask you a question. And, and yes, it was influenced by the movie. Okay, but I, I really... I mean, I've got into a lot of deepness with this question. I want you to just take a look at the cross that you have. Okay, it's yours. It's, it's your individual one. If you want to take it home, you want to punch a hole in it, you want to hang it from something, you want to keep it in your pocket, you want to put it on your desk at work, you want to do, I don't, console your truck or car, don't care. Okay, it's yours. But watch. Do you believe in this cross? Now, this cross is a representation 
of this one, which is a representation of all, with all the rest of the crosses. It's not the original one. They're all representations of what happened. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in this cross? And I'm going to ask you a really hard question. Do you believe in the power of this cross? Because every sin that's ever been done or will be done has already been paid for. And there's going to be a part that we come to in our sermon this morning that's going to be a little bit sharp. You think, man, that's kind of personal. Why are you getting into my personal life? (laughs) I can't tell you how I fell on my face whenever I was studying this by myself. I can't tell you that I looked at this cross and I said, God, I believe in the cross. He goes, no, that's not what I'm asking you. He said, do you believe in the power and the promise of the cross? If you watched this earlier, it was, uh, that video before was David Platt. If you are a reader, if you are a reader and you like Christian books that challenge you, read Radical. Didn't just post on Facebook what you think about it. Because it's going to blow your mind. David Platt, is a, he's involved with international missionaries. He's involved, he's a very good teaching pastor. He's like three or four years older than me. The, dude, the guy is just a special gift from God. But he asked this, he said, do you believe, if, remember if you, if you, talk, if you brought the, the, the lady and the, and the successful man and the successful lady to a dark alley and he sees this naked guy hanging on a tree, metaphorically Jesus, and they say, you're the Savior of the world. You have to have them to be your Savior. And what do they do? They say, no, no, no. We live in first world America. We don't need anything. We don't need anything. Be careful. Be careful. Maybe this morning, you were going to work, and I, I say this often, but you have no idea the truth in this. There's a, there's a reason that my wife and I drive separate vehicles to come to church. Do you know why? Uh, some of you are like, <laughs> I do. Because <laughs> we argue. Why? There wouldn't, be a better, there wouldn't be a better time than Satan to attack her or I if we do. Now, we obviously, sometimes we have different jobs to do. But I, I say that jokingly, but I'm almost serious. Okay, it's, it's more convenient for us to drive separately. We don't live that far. But Satan would like nothing but to do this. He said, I just, don't, I just want to take your eyes off of this today. It's not about this. It's about what you want. No, it's not. And I'll tell you why. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. Last week we talked about his super turbocharged donkey. Remember? Remember that? You car guys? You're like, oh yeah, super sport. Oh, this... Jesus rode on a super sport donkey. Not really. Okay, it was a very humble a donkey had never been ridden. And Jesus comes in. And you remember what they did? Man, they waved palm branches. They swung. Woo! They laid, they, they, they laid their clothes down. And you let the donkey walk on top of those as they come in to the, to the town. Like, the Messiah is here. Jesus is here. Jesus came into town. Listen, he's Jesus, okay? He knows everything. He has the mind of God. And he knows why he's here. Why is he here? To go here. Now watch this. Now watch this. The same people. The same people that said, Hosanna, the king of kings, you're here. Three days later are with the mob with their fists saying, crucify him. He's not who he says he was. He's a blasphemer. Give us Barabbas, who we'll talk about today. Look at your worship handout. If you have your worship handout, you can flip it over to the the first one. And there's going to be some blanks and there's some scripture that you'll know where I'm going to go if you want to kind of turn there as as we go through. Listen to this. Jesus knew exactly what was required of him. He completed his mission by going to the cross. Why did he come into Jerusalem the last week of his life? 
You know why he came into Jerusalem last week of his life? Jerusalem was slam-packed full of people. There wasn't a room anywhere in the city. There were thousands of people. Why? How do you know this, man? Because I'm super smart. No, because it was Passover week. All the Jews are in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. Jesus comes riding in. He has a big audience. He said, I'm going to go out with a bang. <laughs> he said, I have a whole bunch of people that need to hear this. Maybe they haven't heard it before. But I am the Messiah. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew exactly he was in the last part of his life. He knows what's coming. And because he knows what's coming, this is, this is just something... Anybody still hold on to their cross? You can answer that from yourself. It's a little uncomfortable. I've been holding up for two services. But we're going to look at John chapter 17, and I want us to take a look at this. We're going to look at John chapter 17, and we're going to see Jesus' real human side. Now, we like to think, oh, Jesus is just, you know, he's sitting up at God's right hand, and, you know, he's got the scar in his, in his wrist and his feet, and he's just hanging out. He's getting worshipped. Listen, this is a different time in history, and he is very human. He's very much human. Watch this. Look at, verse, look at chapter 17 in John. If you want to flip there in your Bible, you can, or your phone. Check this out. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Okay? They've already eaten the Lord's Supper with the disciples in the room. I'm just fast forwarding. I don't have, I can't spend all the time and tell you the whole entire story. But he's had the Lord's Supper with the disciples. Now he's out praying. Now watch how he prays here. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. In verse 2, for you have given him authority over everyone. We see that in Mark chapter 10. Not only does he have the ability to heal people like Mary Magdalene and, and heal her of being possessed by demons, but he, in, in Mark, he, the disciples are in the boat and Jesus shows them that his power is over nature. No one had ever seen anybody have power over nature. Jesus had it. He says, for you have given him authority. He's talking about himself. He gives eternal life to each one you have gave him. Look at number three. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. If you look back, if you have time, jot down this note. John 1.1, the same book you're in. Fast, rewind back to the very first part of this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It talks about Jesus being always coexisting in eternity with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They're all the same, yet all different. No, I can't explain that. But they've always existed. And he says this. Bring me into the glory we share. Do you know what he's literally saying? Dad, I'm ready to come home. This, this, this human body really restricts me. It restricts me. God, I've been... I know what it's like to be with you. And I long to be... You ever go on vacation? Even somewhere like that you've dreamed about going? And you get to the last day of vacation, don't you want to come home? I do. I miss my, I miss my house. I'm like, man, I just want to come home. Sometimes I just want to go home. If we get older in life, sometimes, sometimes there's people, my grandparents said this, I'm just ready to go home. There's more people on the other side of, uh, meaning they've already passed on. There's more people over there than there are here now. And I'm just ready to go home. Jesus was saying the same thing. 
He's ready to be home. But first he knows he must complete his task. Now I want to I I ask you something. Many of us will say, man, you know, nobody's ever done anything for me. Well, if you're sitting here and you got a cross, okay, Connection gave you something today, so something, somebody did something for you today. But I want to show you something that's incredible. If you have a daily time that you read your Bible, you talk with God, I want to challenge you to read a little bit further in chapter 17. And just mark this down, we're not going to go there. Look at verses 20 through 26. Jot that down. Read that this week. If you have your phone, read that sometime. Jesus literally prays for you and I in 2016 in this time in history. It's incredible. He says, he says, basically, anybody that comes after me and follows me, I want to pray for them that they, that they act as one, that they, that they glorify you as I did. You've been prayed for. Isn't that... Jesus Christ prayed for you. That's, that blows my mind. Have you ever met him? Has he ever come over to your house and had Lucky Charms with you? No? <laughs> I love Lucky Charms, but I've never, made, I've, never had, I've never had breakfast with Jesus having Lucky Charms. Jesus never knocked on my door. And in fact, that I can see his words. So they just finished. Now we're going to switch books. We're not going to switch stories. We don't skip very much. Look at verse, uh, verse 39 of chapter 22 in Luke. If you're in John, just go left in your Bible. We're going to go to Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Now I want you, I want you to see this. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs and went as usual. Okay, they had just got done with the Lord's Supper. Same story, different people. Now watch this. They just, Jesus left the upstairs and went... If you have a pen and you underline in your Bible, underline as usual. Well, that's a big deal, as usual. They were used to going to God in prayer. They were used to fellowshipping together, seeking God's will for their life. Jesus was accompanied by his disciples. Why was he? He taught them. He taught them, and he went as usual. So all they knew is Jesus always prayed. We should always pray. Some of us bought vehicles of a certain brand because our father bought them, and they didn't have any trouble with. Oh yeah, I like that. I like this. Look at verse forty, and there he told them. So they got to the garden. They got to the Mount of Olives. Excuse me. So Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. In verse 40, he said, There he told them, Pray that you will not give in to temptation. How'd that work out? If you know the story, Jesus left his disciples a ways away. And he said, he says, he says Pay attention and stay a watch. Or, pray that you will not give in to temptation. Listen, this is at night, and they just had a meal. What do you do Sunday afternoon after you eat lunch? They go home. Sleeping, right? Especially if you... Man, turn on the man, NCAA tournament. I was like, oh, go Duke. Anyway, um, there's... I know some of you are like, I'm going to pray for him now. He likes Duke. Okay, chill. It's okay. It's okay. Indiana. Woo. Anyway... Some of you are really taking me off your prayer request because like you, you like Kentucky. And I'm sorry, okay? That was a really good game, though. But we sleep, don't we? And he said, listen, don't give in temptation, but pray with me. They had no idea or clue. And in verse, th- this is just awesome. In verse 41, it said he walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. Now, some of you are thinking, well, a stone's throw. It's a measurement. And some of you are going, well, how far is a stone's throw? It depends on if Albert Pujols is throwing it or you're throwing it. 
That was funny. Anyway, <laughs> you got wait. This is eleven o'clock. And he says this, he goes a stone's throw away. Now, why did he go away from his disciples? This is why I think. Because when Jesus was on his knees, and he was begging God to take the cup from him, he probably did not want his disciples to fully know this conversation that was happening with his father. Because I think it would have scared the living daylights out of them. They had no idea about it. And they, they don't know that Jesus is getting ready to get arrested. And he knelt down and prayed. I think probably knelt down, he probably fell face down. And he probably, in, in, look at in verse in 42, he says this, Father, why don't you underline these next four words? If you are willing. Four of the most difficult words to honestly pray in your entire life is if you are willing. Because then this is what it does. It takes you with the handlebars of control and you do this. And now a lot of us are like, just want to have the control back. If you are willing, look, he says, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Jesus shows his full and total humanity here that he's actually a, a human. And he says, if this can be taken from me, we need to figure out a different way. I know in my mind, he's Jesus. I know where I'm going. And I'm going to the cross. They're going to shove these things. Now these are, just for, these are just for props, but I can't even pick this up without getting stuck. He goes, I know that they're going to shove one of these things down on my head. I know that they're going to mock me. They're going to beat me and punch me. I don't want to do it. Is there any way I can go out of here and like heal a thousand people and we can call it even? And then he says this, this sentence right here. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Showing absolute submission to the Father. Look at your worship handout. Jesus gives us His own example of how we should yield to the will of God. Now, we don't like the, wheel, the yielding to the will, the will. Man, that's hard. Yield to the will. <laughs> we don't like yielding to the will of God because normally in 99.9% .9 of the problems of the time, it goes against anything that we want to do. You remember that story that I told you? I said, I would, I would pray, say, God, I'll go to Africa for you. I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this. But I will not be a pastor. How'd that work out? Oh, that's great. Listen, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. You heard that one? See, Jesus says, I want you. You still holding on to your cross? Now listen, it's getting a little uncomfortable. Jesus gives us his own example of how we should yield to the will of God. He, Jesus himself goes to his father and says, if there is any any other way, a scientific, a scientific thing happened to Jesus that's extremely capable or under this anxiety and stress that he literally sweated his own blood. Have you ever been that scared? Have you ever sweated blood? I mean, this is this this would just be unreal. We, we, we can't know what he was thinking. He has jobs for his children. Now I have another question. If we compared how you and I act towards God and how Jesus acted towards God, do they match? Now I know you're saying, well, that's Jesus. I'm not comparing myself to Jesus because I always fail. Listen, take a look at how you react to God's will in your life and take a look at what Jesus did. He didn't do it to say, hey, look at me. He did it to say, this is what you're supposed to do. It scares us. Scares us bad. Look at Luke 23. I told you we're going to be jumping around a little bit. Still in the same story. 
Now, Jesus is arrested in the garden. When he's praying, he comes up and he's arrested. Now he's taken to Pilate in charge of the Roman government. Okay? Look at verse 13. Then Pilate called together the leading priests and other religious leaders along with the people, and he announced his verdict. You brought this man to me, accusing him of leading a revolt. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and found him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Herod and Pilate got, got along about as good as Cardinals and Cubs fans do. You may like the person, but when the game's on the line, there's a lot of trash. there was a lot of trash talk on Facebook about NCAA tournament yesterday. And there's people that have their own opinions. Herod and Pilate did not exchange Christmas cards. They did not like each other. But the one thing that they agreed on was Jesus was innocent. I think this is going to be huge in a minute. They both said, no, 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 there's nothing. There's nothing. Look at verse 15. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent him back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for the death penalty. What, he, what you are accusing him of does not result in guilt or being put to death. So in verse 16, Pilate says this. So, I'll have him flogged and then I'll release him. What's flogging? Having Jesus flogged, beaten, whipped, would have been to appease the people. Just, he's trying to ride the fence pretty good here. I don't think, I don't think he did anything wrong, but uh, this is like the ultimate, the ultimate codependency thing. <laughs> he wants to make everybody happy, doesn't he? He makes these people happy. Well, we can, we, can, we, can, we can hit him a little bit. and That'll make these people happy. And then if we don't kill him, it'll make these people happy. And I win. He's a, he was a politician. No comments. Okay. Verse 18. Then a mighty roar rose from the crowd, and with one voice they shouted, Kill him and release Barabbas to us. In verse 19, we get a great look of how Barabbas is this awesome guy. He would be who you want your daughter to bring home and marry. Listen to this. Barabbas was in prison for taking part in an insurrection of Jerusalem against the government and for murder. So sweet, he's an anarchist, he hates government, and he kills people. Let's put him on a scale next to Jesus and see who wins. Be careful what you think about Barabbas, because if we put ourselves next to Jesus, let's see who wins. Jesus always wins. Look at this. They said, give us Barabbas. Look at 20. Pilate argued. If you underline in your Bible, underline that word. Pilate argued with him because he wanted to release Jesus. He's wanting to say, I don't want to hold him in custody anymore. Please let him go. I did not see anything wrong with him. But verse 21, the crowds kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Some of the same people who waved palm branches were three or four days later after Palm Sunday, and they're literally not waving their palm branches anymore. They're shaking their fists saying, kill him. He's not who he says he is. <laughs> I used to hear this. this. We, we'd be around adults and we'd think we were... We thought we were adults, and some of my friends, or maybe even me, we would talk, and we would say words that aren't... That aren't Nice. I used, to, I used to hear a guy in my family say, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? Look at this. These same people that said Hosanna are now saying kill him. In the book of James, it talks about how sharp our tongue can be. And it was true for these people. In verse 22, 
For the third time he demanded, Why? What crime has he committed? I have found no reason to sentence him to death. So, I have him, so I'll have him flogged and then I will release him. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified. And their voices prevailed. If you stay around people, if you stay around people and you don't turn their volume down by focusing your life and eyes on Christ, they are going to influence you. You know that as well as I do. Bad company corrupts good character. And that should be in the Bible. It is. Bad company corrupts good behavior. You, you can't hang out with these people. Listen, they are influencing. Now they're influencing by the mass of them are influence, influencing a guy that is going to, yes or no, Jesus is going to die. And look at verse 23. But the mob shouted louder and louder, demanding that Jesus be crucified, and their voices prevailed. It's like Pilate had heard it enough, and he said, will you just be quiet? Will you just be quiet? And he finally just said, fine, you can have them. Maybe it's like this. Now, if you're, if you're a mom, don't cringe or anything. But you may have heard this. Mom, 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 mom. Some of you are going into hyperventilation. Mom, mom, what? Sometimes those repetitive voices just get in our head. And Pilate, look at verse 24. This is sad. So Pilate sentenced Jesus to die as they demanded. Gave in. Those, those voices got louder in his head. And he said, I'm just going to appease them. I'm just going to... Just kill him. Just kill him. <laughs> We're going to be in John chapter 19. I'm not losing anything. We're going to fast forward a little bit. I, pa- I, I bypassed... I bypass man. I can't speak. I bypass the the scourging, the the beating, the flogging. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that in just a second. These are some of the things that I read. And by the way, a really good place for you guys to to look at the scripture this week before we get to Easter next Sunday, which is a celebration time today. Listen, today at the end, it's not going to be a celebration. It was a dark time in history. This is going to be a dark time in scripture. But next week. We're going to look at the joy. But today, read, read, or today this week, read chapter 15 on to the end of John. You're going to find out what all happened. Just a quick overview. Jesus was this. After, after Jesus sent, or Pilate sent Jesus to die, he was sent off to be flogged to be crucified. He was beaten, flogged, whipped, smacked, punched, kicked, mocked, and disgraced. The scripture said that, he, that Jesus himself in his face was beaten beyond recognition and that his flesh, I don't want to be gross here, that his flesh hung like ribbons. You do the own Hollywood picture in your head. I don't want to think about it. But this cross forces me to think about it. Because it was those stripes that I am made whole. He healed me. His flesh hung. He was beaten beyond recognition. And many of us will say, man, this week's a good week to watch Passion of the Christ. It is. It is. But here's the deal. I want you to, I'm challenging you. And they did a pretty good job. But when Jesus is hanging on the cross in the last scene of the Passion of the Christ, you can still tell it's Jim Caviezel. Now think about that. You're beaten beyond recognition. Why? Just because, listen, I, this, this hurts. I'm really not joking. Is my hands uncomfortable from holding this? Think about this. This would have been made 
This is, this is the real deal, okay? This is not Jesus's, okay, but this was made. This is really sharp. Can you imagine having that set on your head? We're like, oh yeah, just set it on my head. How about somebody just pushing down on it? And they think, oh, wow, this beautiful... These are just so you can see what happened. But in this beating process, this is what happened. We think, oh, my grandfather made, made three crosses like this, and he had them in his yard for a long time. And he took this, and he, and, he, and he put it like this, and he got it all out, all nice, like this. And he draped it around, like the cross like that, so it would look like this on the cross. I'm not putting it on me because I'm not Jesus, okay? He put it over the cross like that and let it flow in the air. That is 100,000 billion percent wrong. This cloth, Jesus was beaten, this cloth was made like this. Jesus was getting smacked and punched, and they did this. Oh, Jesus couldn't move. He was getting beaten so bad. And they put it over his head like this and say, oh, you're our king. And they mocked him because they thought this much about this. When Jesus was on the cross, this is how much they thought about it. It was useless to them. That was a garment that was on Jesus. If you collect autographed baseballs or autographed bats or baseball cards or deer or elk or whatever you have in your trophy room, dishes, I don't care what you... Precious moments, doll, I don't know what you collect, okay? It's something that would have been... They're going to gamble for that in a minute. And they, put it, they would put it in their trophy room. Why? This is off Jesus. This is off that... This is a big prize to them. A big prize. And after all this, he's forced to carry a cross. Some of us are going to go home, we're going to eat lunch, and we're just going to go asleep, right? It's okay, it's Sunday. Jesus' blood pressure was not, he couldn't register his blood pressure. Violently low, dizziness, anxiety, anxiousness. All this stuff was running, his stomach probably hurt. He punched, he kicked him. He'd been flogged, he'd been beaten, he'd been hit with rocks. and He was walking on the street and people could walk up. And, how about this? Anybody that has a beard, just go home and, 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 like, and don't turn your, your beard trimmer on and just take it right here and just run it straight down your face. Tell me how I feel. Don't do it. Okay, don't really do it. It will hurt. Bad. Jesus had people walk up to him and they grab chunks of his beard and just rip it out. Are you kidding me? It just, it just abused and obliterated Look at verse 17 in chapter 19 of John. We're going to skip right here. Look at this. Now, he's forced to carry his cross. Man, he feels like a million bucks. That's sarcasm. He's never felt worse than this. So he carried the cross by himself, and they went to the place called the, uh, to a place called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Golgotha. Now, here's the deal. I grew up, I grew up singing hymns, hymns out of the hymnals. Isn't it much easier for us to sing about Calvary? I don't, I don't know a song. <laughs> All right, Jesus died in the place of the skull. No, they don't put it in there. Calvary's much better to talk about, isn't it? It's where He paid for our price, but look at what it's called. Verse 18. There they nailed Him to the cross. Now, I know a lot of you have studied a lot about this. They did not hit him here, probably. Based on your knowledge of, of anatomy, if you got right there, you're going to be in between bones. It's going to pull out. Listen, he has his whole weight on him. 
They're probably going to run it right through your radius and your ulna bones right here. They gap. Okay, they're like this. And they would have probably driven it straight through right above his wrist. And it would have hung on his wrist. Now I can tell you this right now. No way, shape, or form can I compare myself to that pain. But I have a four-inch piece of metal with four screws through my bone right here. And I can tell you right now that it's cold outside. You know why? This is going insane. Now think about that. There is, there is a, these screws all, once in a while will get mixed up and they'll, they'll bump a tendon or something. And I'm telling you, it'll set you on fire. But right here, there's a huge, you can take and you can just press real easy and it's going to be uncomfortable. And they would drive spikes into his arms right here. And when they would go through his flesh, through the wood in the back, they would bend them over so he couldn't, and I don't know a human that could do this. Jesus could have, but... So they wouldn't pull them out. He was on there. A lot of theological people think that they nailed Jesus. They didn't nail everybody. The two thieves on the on the cross on each side were probably not nailed. They were probably tied. It makes it 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 elongates the suffering. You're going to have blood loss if you go through here, and if you just tie them, they can last longer. They're sick people. They were professional killers. So in verse 18, they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus in between them. That's why they often make the middle one bigger. It's just so you can see. Anybody still holding on to this thing? And in verse 19, it said this, And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Who wrote it? Pilate wrote it. What did he say? He was the king of the Jews. That holds a lot of truth right there. Look at verse 20. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. They wanted everybody that came to the crucifixion to be able to read what it said. They were sending out a message. Don't come in here claiming to be the king of the Jews and not be him. The problem is they missed it. Because he was. In 21, the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. Listen, they were putting a personal blame on, on Jesus. And then Pilate replies in 22, says, no, what I have written, I have written. Pilate knows what they're doing is wrong. But he's letting the influences in his life influence him incorrectly. Have you been there? Verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. And they also took his robe. Oh, awesome. Sweet. When David Platt mentioned a naked man on a tree, he probably wore a bed sheet right here to cover parts. And that's it. Okay? And even if he had it on, they would have jerked it off of him. And they would have brought it down here. And they said, well, this is all one piece. It's not divided by seams. Well, we don't want to mess this up. Let's cast lots for the whole thing. They didn't know what they were doing, but they were, they were making an exclamation point from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because it's prophesied in the Old Testament that they will cast lots for Jesus' clothes. But to them it was about that important. In verse 24, it says, So they said, rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice, dice for my clothing. So that's what they did. In verse 25, standing near the cross was Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had, been, had demons cast out of her life, out of her physically by Jesus, and she was a follower. 
all the way. She, listen, she followed him all the way to as far as she could. In verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother standing there, that's Mary, okay? Mary, Jesus' mom, Joseph. The theological people think that Joseph could have already been dead by now because he's not mentioned here, okay? Look. But Jesus is standing here, and the reason he probably said this was because she didn't have a husband that was alive. Now look at this. Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved. Who's that? John. Probably. 99% probably. It's John. It was a disciple, and he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. Dear woman, here is your son. Even when dying, Jesus was taking care of his family. That's how human he was. 27, and he said to his disciple, here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. This was customary. If you lost your husband, people would take care of each other. In verse 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. Verse 29, a jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked it in a sponge. uh, And they put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus tasted it, he said... It, if you want to underline something, I want you to underline this. He says, it is finished. It's finished, it's over, it's done. It's paid for, it's final. And then he bowed his head, and if you underline scriptures and you put exclamation points or you want to put a different color, this is important because this last line is huge. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. No hand of man came against my Jesus and killed him. He gave up his life because he loves me and you. At any point in time, Jesus could have breathed on that cross, on this cross, as a representation of it. He could have breathed and legions of angels could have come down. Do you think nails seriously held my Jesus to the cross? No way. No way. This is the guy that made people live again after they were dead. Nails really aren't a big deal. In, in Mark, he shows, his, he shows his authority and his power over nature. He heals people. People had done that before. Then Jesus says this. Storm, you just need to calm down. And it just calms down. No one had ever displayed this power before. A lot of people think, when they study about the crucifixion, they think that they nailed Jesus because they didn't think the ropes could hold Him. Neither could the nails if He didn't want Him to. But He sat there, He was up there, and He bowed His head, and He gave up His spirit. His payment is more than enough. He's not going to die again. He's not going to. If you read on Facebook or you say, oh, they found Jesus' bones. I'm going to tell you right now, they did not. Jesus was put in a grave. We're going to see in a second. But He doesn't live here anymore. Look at verse 31. It was the day of preparation, and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day, which was the Sabbath. If you touched a dead body, you couldn't do the Passover ceremony. So they wanted them off there by a certain hour. What they would do is this. If you were still alive, they would take mercy. Mercy and pity on you on the cross was to break your legs. That's mercy. Why did they break your legs? Because you have to push up on the cross with both of your feet to breathe, to arch your back. Every time... Bring, pulling muscles out of socket, pushing, pushing up and archering your back just to try to breathe. On the cross, you die by asphyxiation. You suffocate to death. Oh, joy. It's the worst human punishment probably recorded in history. But to be, to have your legs broken would make you sag and you couldn't push up anymore and it would kill you quicker. That was literally their mercy. We don't like to think about this stuff. We like Easter eggs 
And we like colorful stuff. And we like crosses. And we like that Jesus raised from the dead. But listen, I did not want to skip that he took your junk and my junk and he stayed on the cross. That's what held him there. It wasn't the nails. It wasn't the rope. It wasn't, it wasn't the crown of thorns. And it wasn't the purple robe. Jesus stayed on the cross because of our sin. Because he was the payment. He goes on. He says, so they asked Pilate to hasten their deaths by order to have their legs broken. Uh, then their bodies could, hang, could be taken down. In verse 32, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men crucified with Jesus. In 33, but when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead, so they didn't break his legs. I wonder why. Because they're going to fulfill some more prophecy in a second. 34. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear. Immediately blood and water flowed out. 35. This report. Look at this. This is how real this is. This report is from an eyewitness giving an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you also may continue to believe. If I caught a 10 pound... No. no, This is is my story. Let's say I caught a 15 pound largemouth in Illinois. That's 2 pounds over the state record. If I throw it back and come to you and say, hey, I didn't get a picture of this, but I caught a 15-pound 15, a 15 bass. It was, like, it was like 28 inches long, and he's like this big around. Would you believe me? Okay, this is the answer. No, you would not. Some of you may give me the benefit of the doubt, but there's, that's outrageous. John here says, this guy was here. It's coming from his mouth. It really happened. These things, in 36, these things happen in fulfillment of the scripture that says, not one of his bones will be broken. In 37, they will look on the one they pierced. Even one of the guards, after God poured out his anger on his son and he gave up his life, even one of the Roman guards said, surely this was the son of God. I wanted to, I wanted to show a, a, a video And it has something in it that would cause a lot of theological questions that I don't know anybody in seminary or or anybody that I know that could probably give you the correct answer. It's just a a guess to maybe what what this actually means. But the gist of that video is this. There's over 7 billion people that live on planet Earth today. If you take all those people and put them over here in an equation, everybody that lived before these 7 billion people to the beginning of time is roughly 7 billion more. So... If you add 7 billion and 7 billion, you get 14 billion. I know. I'm, I'm a stud at math. Really? Anyway. Wake up. Anyway. And he said, if you round up to 15 billion, he said, and, and, that's on, and that's if Christ doesn't tarry longer than these people are alive. Okay? There's a lot of ifs. But let's just say right now, 15 billion. Now, think about this. God took the sins of past, present, and future sins of the entire human race. And at one time, he turned his back on his son who was hanging on a tree that he grew. And he poured the wrath of 15 billion people's sin on his life. At one time, God literally, literally and figuratively said, you can go to hell. Now, a lot of people, you get into the theological debate about when Jesus died, what did he do? He go to, did he really? Okay, listen. Holding the key, that, that is metaphorical and very, very, very difficult to explain. But listen to this. He, God literally, the only submission, only break in this ever in, of, the, of the Trinity, ever. 
And God pours my sin and your sin out on them. Look at verse 37. And they, oh, 38, I'm sorry. We're, we're going to meet two guys. I love these dudes. Watch this. 37, or 38. After Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. We know for an absolute fact that you do not have a stone grave in this time in history unless you are rich. The timeline matches. You ready? Early in Jesus' ministry, he came across a guy that's called the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to him. I'm not saying that this is true. I'm saying this is really cool and it could be very true. Joseph, or this rich young ruler comes to him and he says, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be your follower, man. You're the man. You're healing all kinds of people. And, Jesus said, and he says, what do I need to do? Jesus said, well, you need to keep all the laws. And the guy goes, man, I'm a good Jew and I'm rich. I've followed all the laws my entire life. He says, okay. I want you to go home, and I want you to sell everything you have, and I want you to give it to the poor, and then I want you to come and follow me. And it says that the man went away sad because he was very wealthy. This could be the same man. Could be. Could be. Maybe not. But watch this. He has this, this tomb that, number one, no one had ever laid in. That's more, that's more uh, prophecy. And then verse 39, we meet another dude. Look at this in verse 39. With him came Nick at night. You remember Nicodemus came to Jesus when? At night. That's why it's Nick at night. Nickelodeon did not invent that. Nicodemus, Nick at night came to him. Now look at this. The man who had come to Jesus at night, he said, Jesus, I believe you are who you are. But what must I do to have eternal life? You remember what Jesus said? He goes, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, What? I can't go inside my mom. I'm like 40. That's paraphrasing Matt Griswold land, okay? He said, I can't, I can't be reborn. Look what he does. He brought 75 pounds of ointment for Jesus' body. I find it very significant in verse 39, the very last part, that at the birth we see Jesus got myrrh, right? Look at his death. Myrrh and aloes to treat his body because it smelled good. It was fit for a who? A king. Jesus was who he says he was. In 40, following, Jesus, or following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped his body with spices in long sheets of linen cloths. Verse 41. They place, um, the place of the crucifixion was near a garden uh, where there was a new tomb that's never been used in 42. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Why do they say this? The tomb was near a garden. You want to know why they said it? Because that's where it was. There's no way that the people that are going to check in three days, that tomb didn't know where it was. Everybody knew where it was. They put Roman guards in front of it to guard Jesus' body from being stolen. That didn't work. We're going to find that out next week. Look at your worship handout. We're going to get, we'll finish up. Jesus endured the cross for you and I. He paid for our sin with His blood. The nails didn't hold Him on that cross. His love for you and I did. He endured the cross. He paid for our sin because He loves us. You know, I, I really like that. There's, there, there's a thing that I, that I really love. It's off, of a, it's off of a sermon. It says that Jesus loves us because He loves us, because He loves us, because He loves us. And He goes on and on and on and on and on. You are loved today. Look at the next blank on your worship handout. The payment that was applied for our sins was more than enough. At the cross of Christ, our burdens and sins were paid for in full. 
This is how this mentions. Now, in this scripture, it literally ends with them putting Jesus in a stone cave and rolling the stone. Put it in there and roll the stone in front of it. This is a dark time. Satan's literally running around going, Woohoo, we won! (laughs) I hope you really enjoy those three days. Because next Sunday it's about celebration of what God did. Jesus paid for our stuff in full, but here's the problem. Do you believe that everything about this cross, because when Christ died, this is what He died for. You ready? This gets uncomfortable. Jesus died for the sins that you and I commit against Him that we can ask forgiveness for. How about this? Maybe you have a relationship in your life that is broken. The chances are, either you or the other person did something wrong or sinned and it caused a split or a break in that. This is what God said. He said, I, kill, he goes, I poured it out on my son so that you can have a good relationship. And I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to that person. They did such wrong to me. Then I want to ask you another question that I've already asked you. Do you believe in the power of this thing? I have seen people's lives changed. My God saved my life from a battle of depression that was awful. That I don't even want to ever experience with anybody else. But I will, I will walk through that valley with you. Because I know that my God is able to bring you out of it. Maybe he wants you to call that parent or your child and say, Listen, I'm, I don't know how this all started. Or maybe you do. Take ownership. Apologize. Listen, this is a big deal. We have a chance next week to invite people that don't go to church anywhere to come and hear the story of what God did. Because that gives us the hope. But do you believe in this thing? Oh yeah, I believe it. Jesus died. You know, there are people probably in here right now that are thinking instantly right now. There are people that I need to talk to. I need to ask them to forgive me. I need to forgive that person. You see, when they, when they beat Jesus, and He took and He absorbed all that pain, and He gave up His life, He paid full, in full, that price. He paid for it. It's done. Now he's wanting. Now he's asking. Through this symbol that we wear around our neck. We put them up in our house. We do all kinds of things. Anybody still got it in your hand? (laughs) I'm going to ask you one more time. Do you believe in the power of the cross? (laughs) It's not just two pieces of wood slapped together. It's actually a tree that God grew that he knew would be used to make the old rugged cross. That would... Be the receptor of his son. And it wasn't nice. And it wasn't polished and stained. It was rough. It was awful. And it was bloody. And it was messy. But he did it for you. He did it for me. If you have that type of stuff in your life, maybe you, you need to have God's, God's encouragement, God's strength to, to get over I want, you, I want you to just raise your hand in just a second. We're gonna, if everybody would just bow their head. If you have one of those relationships, I'm just going to pray for you. I'm not out loud. I just need, if you say, man, I just need God to really, really, really work in a situation. I need to ask for forgiveness or I need to seek some forgiveness. Or I have one of those relationships. Will you just toss up your hand? You can put it right back down. Thank you. Put it down. Dear God. When we focus on the payment that your son paid on the cross, we understand that all those sin, sins that we do or have been done 
are able to be paid for, and it's just us asking you. God, I ask right now, there are people in this room that have stuff, including myself, that we need to have and be made right. Maybe it's a relationship with someone. Maybe it's, maybe it's an attitude towards someone. Maybe it's, it's something that we just need to say, I'm sorry. I ask you, God, that they, you give them the strength and that they realize that the power of the cross makes that possible. Because the power of the cross is our hope. It's our payment. God, I can never stand up here. I can never post enough stuff on Facebook. And I can never tell enough people about Jesus to equal what your son did for just even me. But that's the point. You would have done it for any one of us individually because you love us that much. God, I ask that you heal these people. I ask that you work in these relationships. God, that we truly believe in the power of your cross. And we accept, and we accept the payment that your son paid. In your name we pray. Amen.